0: has been on my heart for some time and I want to share it with you. When I think about my ministry that covers a fairly broad spectrum of different kinds of needs and different kinds of people, I would say that there is, there is one need, there is one mindset that tends to rob people of their faith and get them off course more than any other that I encounter. Now I'm sure there's someone more experienced than I who would say, you know, something different. But in my experience, there's, there's one thing. And for the past couple weeks, it's kind of been sticking in my craw. And I've been kind of praying over it and thinking about it. And I want to try to, to get to that. And before I get there, I'm going to leave it in suspense. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Amen. And I'm gonna just I'm just gonna hang it there and I'm gonna talk about a couple things before we, we open that door and look at it, okay? But what I'm gonna share with you tonight I would entitle To Contend or to Be Content? That is the question. And no, I'm not quoting Shakespeare, I'm just abusing his line. To contend with or be content? That is the question. I think that we all find ourselves in one of two categories when when we have failed, when we've fallen short. Either we were content when we should have been contending or otherwise we were contending when we should have been content. And these two categories are both, they're terrible. They both bring destruction. They both get us off of the purpose of God. There are times in a person's life, perhaps even in a people's life, where to be content is death. It's absolute destruction. If the storm clouds of judgment are gathering over Sodom and Gomorrah and I'm resting in satisfaction, that satisfaction is going to equal death. If there is a promise and a purpose at the long end of a journey, and I am in Ur, not on my feet pursuing that journey, but resting in Ur, satisfaction is going to be not only my death, but the death of the purpose of God that began with Abraham. Amen? If I've been in Egypt my whole life and my parents came here 400 years ago, how long has this country been A nation, 240 some years, right? Since 1776, the children of Israel were in Egypt almost twice as long as the United States has been a nation. That's a long, long time. I mean, we think of it as they kind of got caught there and then picked up and went on their way. No, that was their world for centuries of collective experience. And if I'm in that culture, satisfied, when Moses comes and starts trying to agitate and challenge the people to action, saying, we got to make an exodus and get out of here, my satisfaction is going to be my death. It's going to be the death of the purpose of God. It's going to be the death of everything good that could happen in my life. And if you're sitting in this meeting tonight And you're not yet pouring yourself out in the purpose, in the place of sacrifice that God has called for you. And yet somehow you have found your niche and you're content. You're going to die there. That's where faith dies. The slow death of sleep. Amen. Of numbness. That's where it dies. And hence... There are all kinds of scriptures that speak to this mindset in the Bible, right? We know them quite well. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Proverbs 6, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And behold, calamity shall come like an armed man and disaster like a vagabond. When they say peace and safety, then... At that point, sudden destruction will come. He that being often rebuked and hardens his neck shall be suddenly destroyed and that without remedy. So the Bible speaks a lot to these sort of mindsets. Isaiah 52, awake, awake Zion, put on strength. In Joel 2, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm. On God's holy mountain. Paul's words. You know how late it is. The time is running out. Wake up. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. Remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. And put on the shining armor of righteousness. So God speaks to those who are content. And he says be discontent. But then there's something else that God speaks to those who are discontent. And I know I'm playing words a little bit here, and I hope you'll grant me that. Do you agree with these scriptures? If you're in this place, apathy is lethal. You're going to die where you sit. As whoever it is, Sam Brown says, isn't that who it was? Yeah, I think it was. Anyway, the poet The plains of hesitation bleached the bones of those who at the dawn of victory sat down to rest and resting died. He's really borrowing from Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 when he says, These all died and their bones were scattered in the wilderness because they were not able to come to that point of action. Amen? Dissatisfaction leads to disentanglement. And disentanglement becomes separation and separation it entails a journey a destiny that you're going somewhere and that can be your salvation or it can be something else Amen Abraham was dissatisfied in Ur wasn't he that dissatisfaction helped him to become disentangled you're not clinging to something that doesn't satisfy you pushing it away. And that dissatisfaction, that disentanglement allowed him to slip the bonds of his culture and run in the path of God's command. But then there's another mindset. I told you that I would entitle it to contend or be content. There's another mindset. And this is the mindset. Both of these really are, but this is the one that I encounter more often that is lethal to faith. This is it. The notion that Jesus, oh, it would never be put like this, okay? Please, be clear. Nobody would ever say this. But I hope that when I'm I'm done describing this, I will recognize myself in my words, and I hope you will recognize yourself in these words. There is a notion that wants to creep into our thinking, into our hearts, that basically assumes that Jesus died on the cross to make life good for us. And that if we are in God's will, life ought to be good. And if life is not good, then we must not be in God's will. I think this mindset most often manifests itself like this. You're going about your task. You're serving. You're giving yourself. You're praying in the morning. Lord Jesus, help me to glorify you this day. Did you pray that this morning? Amen. We'll join the crowd. Did you pray that this morning? You should pray that if you didn't. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, let my life be a testimony. Let my life bring you glory this day. But then as you're going through your life, as you're going through the day, something happens that you perceive or, and your perception is really right, but you perceive as that is not right. This should not be happening. Can I paint this in a little clearer color, if you don't mind? Should I start with a brother or a sister? (laughs) I think it better be a brother. Okay, I'm thinking this up right now, so you're going to have to bear with me. Okay, you're going through your day, and I'm going to give a real basic menial example. But perhaps there, there are much better examples that could be given that would cut even sharper to the quick. Okay, so I'm going through the day, and I have my course set out for me. I've got my ducks in a row. I know what I need to accomplish by day's end. And I'm pursuing these objectives methodically. And all of a sudden, somebody calls me up and says, they basically take the the carpet right out from under me. Maybe, I think of examples, but I don't want to put anybody on the spot, myself included. So, let me think about this for just a second. Okay, let me give you a hypothetical. Mm, No, that's too true too. (laughs) Mm. 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 Okay, got it. So, I've got my list of objectives, I've got my to-do list, and I'm pursuing these methodically. And I'm in a time crunch. Are you with me? And I've got reputation at risk. I've got people's respect hanging on this. I may even have the witness of, of the church at risk. And all of a sudden, somebody calls me up and says, some brother calls me up and says, who had the fellowship at the community hall last night? You say, well, there were a lot of people there. Were you there? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, were you responsible? Oh, uh, well, not, uh, it was me and, oh, it was you? Okay, I want you to go right now and clean out all those tables that are left there, get those, uh, those chairs out of there, and get that thing straightened up by 2 o'clock. Oh, yes, hallelujah. It's just what I was hoping for. No, no, it's some, something rises up in your heart, and it goes something like this. <gasps> I'm not the one who did this. He didn't even let me get out that it wasn't me, that I didn't set it up, that I wasn't the last person to leave, that I wasn't the person who, who reserved the community hall. I wasn't in charge of the fellowship. It's so-and-so's fault. But when you call him, he doesn't answer his phone, and you find out later he's across the world on some plane trip, Timbuktu. Amen. Or he might as well be. So you're gonna. there's, there's something that happens inside our hearts, and we go, and we get mad, and when we get mad, we lose grace. When we lose grace, we do a poor job, and we just start to to get into this situation where everything is without God and everything is going very poorly. And I want to address why that is. Because we have a bad expectation. We have an illegitimate expectation. And so that expectation keeps getting thwarted by reality. And we think that if that expectation... Is messed up then the will of God must be messed up and this is wrong. The greatest things the devil does in the world, he does by people who think they're doing God a service. The greatest wrongs you will ever commit, you will do with a certain righteous indignation that you know this is not appropriate and you're going to correct this. But where self, self-interest, still remain the center and purpose behind everything you do. When I know in my heart that brother so-and-so is wrong when he does this, that's going to put an edge in my voice the next time I speak with authority figure, no matter if it's this person or not. And I'm going to get off course. It's going to put an edge in my attitude toward my peers and those under me, and specifically this person. And I'm going to go over there and I'm going to bash things together and I'm going to barely get done And at the, at the best, I'm going to get the job done feeling sorry for myself and, having, and feeling completely drained of the grace of God I'm going to go back to my task, I'm going to do a poor job in my original job and I'm going to blame it on brother so and so and brother so and so and brother so and so and ultimately something is going to erupt out of my life that is going to dismantle the order of God I'm going to kick the walls out of the house and the roof is going to cave in and I'm going to be sitting there saying, how did this happen? And I'm going to be telling you, you had the wrong expectation. God did not come to make our life good, to make our life easy. That is not why he came. He came and died on a cross to demonstrate such a love, so great a love, that it would demand our loyalty and obedience as we glorified Him in the hardest, most painful, most disorderly of circumstances that we find ourselves. That's why He came. He came to ignite love in our heart and devotion and loyalty and then send us with that Torch burning in our souls, send us right back into the menial, basic things of life, and we call it our cross. For this reason, we read scriptures like, Be still and know that I am God. Scriptures like Isaiah 30 15, only in returning to me, in resting and quietness, in confidence will be your strength. It is the enemy's intention to make us feel toward the pains of our cross like we once felt toward the shackles of our sin. All indignant and wanting to change it. All fired up and needing to fix it. Paul says, but godliness with what? Contentment is great gain. And again, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. He found joy in being poured out as a drink offering, being emptied, and being dumped. And then he says, I am not saying this because I am in need for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every and any situation. Whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. What's the secret? It is the enemy's intention to make us feel toward our cross. I just said, like we once felt toward our bondage and sin. Amen? If He can make you dissatisfied with your place of sacrifice, then He will detach you from the body. Remember I said dissatisfaction means disentanglement. Disentanglement means separation, distance, and eventually a different path. So it's the enemy's intent to detach you from the body, separate you, and make you abandon your cross and your Lord. He wants you to bristle and buck, to sulk and seethe. He wants you dissatisfied, to grumble and grouse. This isn't fair, this isn't right. He wants you to fidget and fight your way right out of the purpose of God for your life. That's His plan. So if He can't get you with apathy, and God actually gets you on your feet and puts you in a place of sacrifice, then the enemy's going to get you there with discontent. But the change that God came to bring, He did not come to bring in our circumstances. He did not come to bring in creation. He did not come to bring in this world. He came to bring the change in our hearts he wanted to change something in our hearts he wanted to put love on the throne i think it's time for me to give the ladies example now so i gave the man's example ladies go something like this maybe it's too similar so i might have to change it as we go but it goes something like this i've got this and that and that and this to do i mean seriously some of you sisters you ought to get a gold medal and your reward says that your your descendants, that your children will rise up in the gates of Jerusalem and call you blessed. I do that for my mom. You've heard me do it. It's so way, I mean, first thing in the morning when we're all just bumps on a log, sawing that forest down with snoring, you know, I mean, she comes in flipping the light switch on and, and the washing machine is going and she's putting a load in and she's, Getting this going, I mean, it was incredible every single day. And she's teaching school from this time to that time. And I mean, you don't realize what your mom does for you. Amen. She's not your slave, but she slavishly loves you. And and it's just incredible. I mean, the meals and the and all oh, the responsibilities and the conflicting responsibilities and and there's bringing in this out of the garden and canning and and. It's incredible. It's a good thing y'all are good at multitasking because I'd get lost in just one of those tasks. But I'm going to give the ladies an example here. I'm trying to make a point that the devil, he tricks you and he wins your battle when he can make you feel all lathered in a justice cause. He gets you all lathered up in justice. That's when you're, you're in his plan. Okay. So you might need to help me with this. But basically, it goes like this. Everything's going along, and somebody, probably insensitively, that's probably the root of the injustice, um, somebody does something, puts some imposition on you. you got to have this done, you got to have that done, you got to have this done, you got to have that done. And Somebody calls and springs something on you, or... They ask you, could you please make this or take care of that or so-and-so needs a meal or, I don't know, maybe they call you with a burden and they shouldn't or whatever it is, they do something that's insensitive. They do something that's wrong. They do something that you really don't have to prove is wrong because it's so obviously wrong. And at that point, (laughs) wow. All the forces of indignation are fired up, and the rockets of accusation are flying through the air, and explosions of judgment are happening everywhere. And the devil's got you right where he wants you because God has a plan for your life, He has a purpose for that day, for that hour. And the devil just stole your grace and he's laughing himself silly in your backyard. And you're thinking it's all about justice. It's nothing about justice. But what is our purpose? This purpose that he blinds us from seeing when the red film of justice starts clouding our vision. What is is the purpose? Why did God wake me up this morning? God woke me up this morning to prove and give credence and glory to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, which is the salvation and redemption of the whole world. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm a Christian. That's why I'm alive. That's my purpose. He woke me up this morning because he believed I could be true to the challenge that love is stronger than death. Love is stronger than hardship, misunderstanding, injustice, circumstances. Love is the most powerful force in the universe. And that it will, if we let it hook our hearts, it will eventually pull us from these frothing waters of a painful world and into the promise and purpose of God's peace in heaven eternally. Amen? That's my testimony. That's why I'm alive. (laughs) Jesus did not die on the cross to make my life easy while he was bearing those timbers on his back after being beaten and starved in prison the night before. And he's going along toward Golgotha. And there are women weeping because Their world has been turned upside down and there are disciples fleeing because their master and Lord is just about to be killed. And he turns to them and he says, don't weep now. Weep for yourself. If they do this when the tree is green, what will they do when the tree is dry? He was implying that life can get even tougher than one man taking a cross certainly it's intended to be as tough as a couple misunderstandings in a day. He said if they called the head of the house Beelzebub, what will they do to the servants of his household? Amen. He was implying that it could get worse than what he went through. I know no person will ever suffer the agony that Jesus bore because he carried all of our sins on his back. But I am saying life is intended to be hard. It's unavoidable. God didn't make it that way. We made it that way through sin and the fall and the curse and we cannot undo that. But we can triumph over it. We can rise above it. We can prove that it is no longer our master. We are told that all of humanity lies under bondage to fear by fear. That's what the Bible tells us. That fear, that's the chains that hold people in bondage their entire life. Those are the chains Jesus came to break when He died on the cross, amen? But why do they fear? What do they fear? They fear the death and demise of their own life, of their images, of their dreams, of their comforts, of their fantasies. That's what they fear. And fearlessness will only be achieved when self-worship is abandoned. When in our hearts and minds at the beginning of the day, at the beginning of our walk with God, we already settle that we're called to suffer. We already settle that nothing is going to be just, that life is going to be difficult. When we already settle that, then we're not offended by the mistreatment of royalty, namely self. We're not completely undone when somebody says something bad about King so-and-so or Queen so-and-so because we're no longer on the throne. That's what it means to say I have died. And for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. And that's gain for those I encounter in this world. For me to die is gain for me. Amen. But to live and let Christ be seen through me That's gain for all those who know me and touch me. When that person says that wrong thing, or that little puny injustice comes inching its way into your life, you might change it by just being a Christian. You might change it by keeping the victory, by not being sucked into the vortex, the spinning cycle of indignation and all that junk. But you might not change it. And you don't need to change it. Because your life is in God's hands. And He has chosen your path, and He has chosen you for this path, to demonstrate Himself, His love, His power, His faith, His goodness, His patience, His mercy, in that circumstance. Amen? Amen. And God knows how pathetically weak we are. That's why he chose this incredibly easy path that we're walking. And that is what it is. Amen. There are people right now, need I say, who are suffering things that make our trials seem awfully, pathetically petty. There are people suffering cancer. And they're keeping the victory all the way through it. I didn't say they're keeping a fake smile but they're not being done over they're not being sucked down they're not resorting to self-indignation <clears throat> attack and all that froth and junk amen <sighs> they're saying god give me grace i found the secret and the secret is you staying close to me. And the secret of that is me humbling myself and laying down my rights and sense of deservedness. Amen. Because that's when grace comes, it comes to the humble. So come Lord Jesus, the nearness of God is my good. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why, because it's not scary? It's, it's not death it's not a, it's not a shadow no it's all that it's the valley of the shadow of death it's death itself But I'm not gonna fear because you're still near me and you're still near me because whew, I'm still off the throne amen I'm still humbling myself making myself of no reputation amen and I feel good every time somebody does something wrong to me that I don't rise up and vindicate myself I don't care if you're in your 90s or you're 9 years old. This applies to you. If you can get this, you'll be a Christian. Amen. I'll be a Christian. I'm reaching for it. Amen. Dear Jesus, God, help me to lay down my injustices. Help me to lay down my vindication, my self-vindication. Help me to lay down that instinct that says vengeance is mine and I'm going to repay. God, Help me to feel grateful and thankful every time some little little harm or little bad comes to me because I can still in that exhibit Your love and faithfulness. Just a tiny measure, a tiny teaspoon that You poured out from the cross. Amen. Thank You, Jesus. Praise You, Jesus. Praise You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. So to the satisfied, I say... You better change or you're going to die in your apathy. And to the dissatisfied who are suffering under their cross, to the weary, to the worn, the weak, the wasted, I say endure because he who endures to the end, Jesus said, will be saved. More than any other weapon in his arsenal, Satan will stab you with the injustice of your circumstance and he will make it burn and stink until you've got to do something about it. In the end, all he'll accomplish is making you black hole into despair when you lose the grace of God that all that self-vindication drove out of your life. What if we truly prized Jesus and his agony Mm -hmm. above our own lives and desires? Would we find the grace to stop bucking the waves of life and instead yield and flow with them? Just think if you took out all that vindication, all that indignation toward injustice. Just think if you could just flow with it. Take it as a given. Yes, Lord Jesus, to this Lamb called. Every time it happened, if you could just flow with those waves instead of feel the consolation and assurance of God's love if we accepted our lot and sought to squeeze from our hardships the oil of faith, fidelity gladness instead of the gall of bitterness Gethsemane means oil press it was on the Mount of Olives it's where they turned olives into oil olive oil squeezing from us the last drop, the last full measure. Would we find that peace which is based not on the tranquility of our circumstances, but on the nearness of our God to us? Amen. So, to contend or be content? That's the question. Where are you at right now? Where am I? What is my challenge? I'll tell you right now, my challenge is not staying fired up. I know there's a lot to be done and I feel the burden and the purpose. My challenge is dealing with my life with open hands. Not clenching my fists around the things that God gives me because I know He can give and take away. Mm. Amen? And not getting all indignant about every injustice that comes my way. But just saying yes, Lord, and feeling that, that that reduction, that humility, and at the same time feeling a trickle of grace come out of that hardship. Amen. The oil of gladness. What's your challenge? Let's let's adapt a new mindset, a new attitude that doesn't try to correct all the wrongs that come against us, but instead puts an emphasis on trying to still shine forth the grace and patience of God through those wrongs. Don't get rid of the wrongs. You can't change the world. But keep your heart and your mind all the way through the wrongs, and you'll change the hearts and lives of those around you. Think of that story that we've been told about before of that Amish family or that that Amish community who lost all those children when that raving lunatic murderer went in and shot all those kids in that great school, great schoolhouse, that Amish one-room schoolhouse. And then they went to that man's He shot himself, but they went to that man's widow by the end of that day. And they they just consoled her and told her they loved her and forgave the family and that there was no hard feelings on their part. And it shocked the world, those who found out about it. And they said, where did they get that kind of love? Where did they get that kind of forgiveness? And the answer was, when you live a life letting go of your rights, letting go of what you deserve, letting go of your indignation, your right to talk back, your right to vindicate or avenge yourself, when you live a life of surrender, when the big test comes, you're true to that standard and you exhibit a kind of love that makes people think an awful lot of the man who is hanging naked on a cross and saying, Father, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, if if there was one thing in my life, one thing out of the entire Bible, one paradigm, one pinnacle, one ideal that I would reach for, that I would spend a lifetime trying to truly embody, it would be what happened right there when Jesus said that. I don't want the cross, but I want to have that kind of trust and love. I want to have let go of my life to be able to truly care about those who stole it from me with no bitterness or gall in my heart. Let me have it? Can you let me have the bitterness? Can you let me have all that indignation, all that pride? Can you just let it go? Can you let him have it? Amen. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look for in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will over justice. who hurt us are in our own family, our neighbor our sister, our brother our friend, God, help us to let go of that selfish indignation, God God, help us to be Christians help us to bend and bow to flow it's hard to kick against the goads of life help us to flow with it Flowing with the power of the grace of God inside. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Play it, Sam. Thank you, Jesus. Keep playing it. I like that. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just pray for a minute. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Ask God to help you. Ask God to help you without shame. Ask God to help you. Amen. God, take away my bitterness. God. God, take away my selfishness. God. God, take away all that sense of injustice that gets me fired up. God. Thank you, Jesus. Give me love, God. Give me patience kindness give me long suffering god